Welcome to the SPS Digital Learning Hour. Brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. We're coming to you from a conference room in Central Office, bringing you the latest news in the Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. We'll also inform you of the latest updates, practices, and news as it pertains to our district. Whether you are new to using technology in the classroom or are a seasoned vet, we are here to help. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Mike Thomas. I'm Suzanne Zarges. In case you missed it, we're coming up to the last couple weeks of school. If you've missed any blog posts or podcasts, please go back and listen to them. This week's blog is all about what ISTE is. If you're not sure what ISTE is, it's an international group of technology teachers who get together and share ideas and thoughts and ways to integrate technology into all aspects of school. They have a lot of great resources, many of which you can access through their website. That's it for In Case You Missed It. Coming up next, Hot Take. So this is the final week of our three-part series on podcasts in the classroom. So if you are really interested in learning more, there are a lot of great resources that we've included in the show notes. We hope that you've gained a lot out of it. I know that we all have a deeper understanding of what podcasts are and how they can be used in the classroom. Plus, I think we all have a few new podcasts that we're looking forward to listening to. So take a listen, and when we come back, it'll be our interview of the week. great information out there on how to do podcasts and this New York Times article I didn't print it out it's just a very long scroll for me but Suzanne it looks like there's what 10 pages to it with images right it goes into detail about every every part of a sample lesson you could use so the elements of storytelling activity for telling the story podcast and interviewing so you can have a warm-up with one minute interviews then there's a mini lesson it goes into the elements of an interview if people are so lucky to have a smartphone you could use your smartphone to record the interview then the editing process again something that could be a big black hole and seem really complicated but they tell you how easy it is yeah and they really only focus on just a few of the editing tools that are kind of like the big important ones that would be your being able to cut the audio there's one i think that they mention it which is the noise reduction where you're taking out the extra background noise there's one for amplifying which if you talk too quietly <clears throat> we have to amplify your voice all right i'll you, speak Suzanne, louder looking at you <laughs> need a microphone on a microphone so that would have been the best teacher i could have ever asked for at a young age <laughs> <laughs> so they really only focus on just a few of the vast number of editing tools that are there i think there's like something like 50 different tools that you can use, but they kind of only focus on the most important ones, which helps you because then as a teacher, you don't have to be an expert in all of the tools. 
You just need to know which ones are the important ones. Exactly. And the last section of this, Mike, uh, talks about planning your podcast, the uh, producing of it. So definitely having the outline, as you mentioned earlier, of exactly what you're going to say, all the transitions that you need throughout, putting it all together. And uh, finally, can't forget this, the podcast celebration. So when uh, your students are all done, you can celebrate what they've accomplished. You could have a podcast listening party, or you could invite parents and guests. If time is short, you can let groups of students listen to each other's podcasts using headphones. Um, definitely an opportunity for students to hear feedback on their podcast and improve and make more. The next part that we're going to look at is a whole bunch of podcast suggestions out there for either teachers to listen to, to help them grow in their practice of being an awesome teacher, or help students learn and grow. Or some of them are just kind of fun. The podcast that I'm drawn to, as I said earlier, once you start listening to a variety of podcasts, you'll find that there are some you want to listen to and some that you want to bypass. So for me, uh, the length of time and the voice are what influence my decisions on those two. I have a long commute, so sometimes I, it's very easy for me to listen to an hour-long podcast. If I did not have a long commute, there's no way I would listen to an hour-long podcast. <laughs> so the 10-Minute Teacher podcast is one that jumped out at me. This is Vicki Davis, the Cool Cat Teacher. She has an amazing podcast called 10-Minute Teacher, which is a sequel to her old show called Every Classroom Matters. She chats with today's educators, thought leaders, and classroom teachers, and she actually has new shows appear five days a week and takes up to 10 minutes of your time, which is different from most podcasts. Uh, there's a new episode weekly, so I thought this was a great way to have a short podcast but consistent episodes. There is another one I remember from a past podcast that we did, Mike, that was 10 minutes long. Mm -hmm. I don't have that in front of me, but... We'll find the episode. Uh, then there's two-minute teacher tips. In this podcast, Alice, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I'll say um, Kunchi, maybe, <laughs> is drawing on 10 years of classroom experience, current research, and feedback from fellow teachers. And she shares two-minute tips to help teachers navigate the challenges not mentioned in teacher school. So again, something quick and easy to listen to when you've got five minutes to spare. And a couple for me that jump out right away, and maybe you'll mention them too at some point, is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, which is all about science and space. Think like Cosmos, the old that show series from Carl Sagan, like but updated with more scientific information, but in podcast form. Um, another one is Malcolm Gladwell has one. Uh, it's like the revisionist history. Um, gonna look right now pretty sure it's called the yes revisionist history which where they he goes back and he takes a look at different things in history and seeing if there's anything that we missed or anything that we could what what signs we should have been looking for so we could do something differently if it was a bad event um one that this particular site which all these sites are going to be linked where all of these podcast listicles are 
one that he actually mentions, the author of this article, was have the students, this in particular for high school, listen to this three-part series on college. So this was back in season one, episodes four through six, that you can turn around and have classroom discussions about. And apparently, I haven't listened to them, but apparently they're pretty good. I mean, there's also like This American Life, which is very popular. There were a couple other ones I listened to. One was The Cult of Pedagogy, mm. and... I was all excited to listen to this one, um, but unfortunately, well, I'll say the positives first. So this is um, a very enthusiastic teacher who has gone to great lengths to create um, an ed tech guide for teachers that she spends a lot of time on, which I'll probably try and find at some point, and, and maybe we'll have another podcast on that. However, her style of speaking on her podcast is very low-key, quiet, slow, and not monotone, but very, very... Going to put you to sleep. Yes. So I did not listen to a complete podcast that she created, just not my style. You know, maybe on a different day when I had more time, I'd be more apt to listen to hers. But she had great topics for her for her podcast. I just didn't have the time to listen to them. Another one I listened to was New Teacher Talk with Pablo and Wes. And completely other end of the spectrum. So two guys that are cracking jokes and having a great time, but also giving new teachers some tips. The one I happened to listen to had to do with classroom management. So... Um, depending on your energy level, the type of speaker you like to listen to, and the topics you like to listen to, you will definitely find one that's right for you. So in preparation for this, Suzanne, I did come across those two-minute teacher tips that you were talking about, and that's right in my, my <laughs> wheelhouse. Um, uh, I don't really enjoy listening to hour-long podcasts too, too often, uh, with the exception of ours, of course. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm gotten better. It's a little bit longer than a half hour now. We're improving. Uh, yeah, exactly. Of course, right? So I'm taking that feedback. Um, and I have listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson as well. I mean, he really just... Cosmic podcasts are really cool to listen to. Cosmic anything is really cool to listen <laughs> to, of course. Um, but the, the two-minute teacher tips are just perfect have quick hitters, as our supervisor would say, to just kind of provide refreshers as to... To what you need to know for podcasting. There's also the uh, TED Radio Hour, which is basically TED Talks, which is great to always listen to. Um, there's the Stuff You Should Know, which is always a very interesting podcast. But again, it's on the long, it's in like that half hour to an hour range. So I understand if you guys haven't listened to it, but I tend to like the hour long ones. Like my probably my favorite podcast actually is nothing to do with education. It's the West Wing Weekly, where they go through episode by episode talking about the West Wing. So yeah, I mean I've I've read of that one. Is that um who promotes it? Robert Costa, Joshua Molina. So he joined. Um, he was Will Bailey in season oh, from season okay. four, and one of his That's friends right. that he made, who actually has another one called Song Exploder which is a great podcast where they talk to musicians about where a song came from and then they play the song afterwards. So those are my two favorites. And granted, they're not necessarily education, but 
They are a lot of fun to listen to. And I think that's perfect, right? I try to listen to the 60 Minutes podcast to try to catch up on news stories. So there was a 60 Minutes piece on, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it, Elizabeth Holmes, who started um, Theramos, the company that just went belly up. It, it just Listening to these t- programs are so much more soothing and, and more comfortable for me than having to watch on TV and dedicate that time for on-demand Um being able to catch that while I'm kind of, you know, working on something or just driving is, is so much more beneficial. Right. I'm so glad you said that, Brenda, because one of the other articles um, stated that exact point, that the reason podcasts are so popular is that people can listen to them while they're doing other things. So whether you're driving or doing some other rote task, you can learn something. You can listen to something that's interesting to you, which is why students love them, too. And uh, another point they made was the fact that many um, people are made aware of a particular podcast simply by word of mouth. So the conversation that we just had here made me aware of two podcasts I had never heard of before. So um, hopefully people will spread the word about our podcast and uh, we'll get more listeners. More listeners. Um, Another point I wanted to make about your comment, Mike, with the West Wing podcast is... West Wing Weekly. West, <laughs> West Wing's not on TV anymore, correct? Oh, no, 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 no. Right? So, so sad. <laughs> in the list of the top 10 podcasts that I found for teachers, I was uh, interested in the fact that two of them are actually old. One, uh, hashtag NerdyCast, hasn't had any new episodes since 2015, but it's on this list. Um, because it features, in this author's opinion, the smartest and funniest people in education. They talk about education, technology, and pop culture. So I thought mm-hmm. that was that was really cool. And another one, um, A History of the World in 100 Objects, hasn't had an episode since 2010. Did they hit their 100 objects? Yes, it's the same 100 <laughs> objects, but it's, it's, it retells humans' history through the objects we have made. So that's never going to change. But mm-hmm. it's um, a great resource for a history teacher. And I think that that last little bit that you just said, like, great resource for a history teacher, like, that's, there's so many podcasts out there. Like, that's why I have up on my computer right now, one, two, three, four, five, six different sets of lists. And all the lists are different podcasts of different whatever you're looking for, whether it's science, whether it's history, whether it's English, whether it's math. Yes, there are math podcasts out there. Or foreign language. Like, there's just so many. Like, NPR has a bunch of great podcasts that they do. There's one newer one that I'm listening to, which is called Love and Money, which is talking about how it's important to have, for good marriages to have, like, a balance of you need to talk about money or else it's going to be a huge negative in there. So, like, there's ways to, like, just improve yourselves, too. And whether it's improving your students' learning by using something like Science Friday or wow in the world or science mic to using i did have these all up there or something like the radio adventures of dr floyd which is like a good guy bad guy but taking all the things from history and trying to like stop them from happening or like how would you do it yourself so there's just so many there's just so many i mean that's what's great about it that's what's great about this medium right and one thing we haven't mentioned probably because we feel that it's it's so obvious is the fact that all these podcasts are free. You can subscribe and then automatically be alerted to new episodes that are out there, but you don't have to pay anything, which is really great.
For this week's interview of the week, it was with Lindsay Lindquist. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, because as of right now, when we are recording this, Central Office has no internet, so I can't go on and look to make sure that I am pronouncing Lindsay's last name correctly. But we had a great time interviewing her, so go ahead and take a listen. bunch of grades here, including multi-age for second, third, mostly third grade, and now I am the math ILS. Wow, so 11 years all in the same building. That seems very rare these days. <laughs> Early on in teaching, what were some of the technology tools that you used in the classroom? Probably the first thing I had was a smart board that was deta- with a projector that was detached and the cord had to go around the kids and you couldn't move the cart because if the cart moved, then the smart board was no longer working properly and then kind of an old school uh, document camera. That was the beginning and it was really hard to kind of, it was good to use, it, it felt really new, but it was hard to use in this space. Also, um, Harina has it's a pod system, so there's it's kind of hard to find places to put technology, especially permanent technology, because things are always moving, including the walls between mm-hmm. your classroom. So uh, those were kind of the first, the first main things that we used for technology. So early on with using the smart board, what were some of the activities that you did with students? Early on, I really used it like a projector just to kind of project a document or um, something on my computer, but very basic, just to almost like just a, a jumbotron to see what I was doing instead. And then once I looked more into smart notebook itself, I started doing more with the, act- with the activities themselves and sorts and various act- games and things that we could do on the smart board. So one of the things you mentioned was teaching many grades in your time as a teacher before you became the ILS. How did you differentiate how you use technology with the different grades? I think that in the beginning when we started using technology in the classroom more often, we had this feeling, I think, that younger kids were going to have a harder time and older kids were going to have an easier time with it. And I think over time we've learned that that's not really the case, that the kids are really, really savvy with technology in general. But... I think the, that in first grade, there's a lot more of walking back and forth to the board and doing more things like interacting with the smart board itself. Whereas in, in the upper grades, third, fourth, and fifth now, they have their laptops with them and they're doing a lot more independently. They're typing, they're getting on websites, and they are so much better at it than I think we give them credit for. I think at the beginning, teachers, including myself, were kind of, how are we going to do this? It's going to be hard for them to get on. How are they going to get on Brightspace? How are they going to take an assessment online or find this game? But they are much better than we give them credit for, I think. Going from classroom teacher to ILS, what are some of the ways that you use technology now? My biggest thing that I've just kind of finished was digitizing kind of all of tutoring. So we do extended learning before and after school to prepare for MCAS. And because fourth and fifth grade were taking it on the computer, I didn't think we could use paper worksheets or or, or, uh, paper to do the um, tutoring. I spent a ton of time putting everything from uh, a workbook type place to um, online. So I did OneNote. So the entire tutoring took place either on OneNote um, where the tutors interacted with the OneNote, and then students took assessments on Edulastic as their kind of 
their independent practice. So that's been a huge, a huge thing. And also as um, an ILS, a big change for me has been looking for new technology and teaching teachers about how to use that technology. So with tutoring, I'm going to start there. Are you guys also a take-home school so students can take the tutoring home with them or do they sit here and do it too? So we we are a take-home school, but uh, we have not gotten to that point of the tutoring yet. Um, that's a fabulous idea, though. <laughs> I will take you up. On, I will take that to take that for next year. Yeah. So it there still is a teacher that's teaching the the lesson initially, and the students are interacting with the OneNote on a smart board. They weren't interacting with the OneNote themselves at mm-hmm. that point. They do for different parts of the day, but not for that particular part. And then then they would be on a computer to do the edulastic part. And so a lot of the kids who were participating in tutoring had their computers with them anyway, because most of our fifth grade and fourth grade take home their computers. Mm-hmm. We were in places with, you know, laptop carts if we needed them. So Okay. So with tutoring, you said you digitized it into OneNote. So can you explain why and the process that you did for that? So the reason I did it was because it seemed the kind of most comprehensive, the easiest way to take what we had done previously in like a workbook type type thing and did and make it into something that a teacher could interact with. I wanted teachers to be able to prove to students that, uh, not prove, but show them how to go from a computer to a piece of scrap paper back to a computer, because mm-hmm. that I think is the hardest change that we're going through, especially for math. If you think everything has to be computed on a paper and then put correctly back without changing what changing numbers or a decimal point or whatever. My goal was to have the the main focus of tutoring be teachers showing students some ways to do that, the easiest way to organize yourself as you're um, solving. I took some of the old math problems that we did, and we used the explicit instruction model, the IWU. So the tutor had a a section was the day of the tutoring, Mm -hmm. and then each page was the I do, the we do, and the you do. And so, and then I put all the assessment questions on Edulastic. So the kids would then go into Edulastic and actually do the um, do the work, uh, put to put to practice the use of going from the scrap paper to a computer and back. Practice just the accuracy and the typing of of their answer without being able to show the equation that they have on their scrap paper because that I think is the hardest change mm-hmm. for the hardest thing for them with doing tutoring this way and I know we're not going to see the MCAS results till later this year anecdotally have you seen a change or seen an uptick in ability in the students or has it kind of been stagnant you know it's it's kind of hard to tell right now but I think there's a lot more kids realizing that they have to do the work on a paper and at least I, I tutor personally fifth grade um, in the afternoons and they've gotten much better at organizing their scrap paper and they've gotten much better at realizing they actually have to use a piece of scrap paper. I, we've had kids that for an ANET, for example, will stare at five decimals and think that they can compare them and order them by just staring at the screen. <laughs> and, like, and I, you can't do that. No. Especially talking to them about how they must, in fact, c- c- take what's on their computer copy parts of it to the um, paper, and then put it back. So at least my, the kids that I've been um, working with, I've seen a, a big difference. In the fifth grade class um, that I do my 20% in, they do a lot of um, OneNote as well, and they have a notebook with them where they're transferring back and forth. 
So as an ILS, you mentioned that I'm going to jump around now. No, uh, <laughs> you mentioned that you go out and you look for different programs and things to bring to teachers to use. You, I believe you mentioned Seesaw and Agilastic. Mm-hmm. What are some other things that you've done? Well, um, so the beginning of this year for PD, as as you might remember, was all different kinds of um, different kinds of technology. Um, and so we, uh, the two other ELA, ILSs, and I put together the PD of ways for them to just really practice using this. So we talked about Pear Deck a lot. We did Cahoots. We did Songbird was in there. So a lot of it was the something the district had kind of provided us with some ideas. And then we tried to create PD where teachers interacted with this technology and then had to then had to tell their colleagues about it on a on a platform of technology. A group would look at Pear Deck maybe and then on Seesaw they would have to explain what Pear Deck is. And so we tried to kind of make it interactive with uh, teachers. We've done a ton with the OneDrive this year, 365, because it's an easy way to share everything. Which has had its positive and negatives mm-hmm. um, because you have to remind people that a shared document if it gets changed, it's changed. It's forever changed. We've done a lot with that. We we did a really a lot of the ability to like um, interact with documents on 365. We did a PD where everyone was editing one PowerPoint to then create a, mm-hmm. a, a school wide PowerPoint on the MCAS scores, um, and that was really powerful because we could all do the same, do it all on the same platform at the same time. It was instantaneous, which is which is nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. With that training and all these different programs and being an ILS, so that means you get to go into classrooms yes. a lot. Have you seen some programs take off more than others? Like you see more teachers use Pear Deck instead of Seesaw or use Edulastic instead of something else. Something else. I think that the biggest things that have taken off um, this year are OneNote, Astoria is a subscription that mm-hmm. we have that uh, especially the upper grades love. I think Seesaw started to take off a little bit. People loved it during the PD, but there are some sign-in issues and some kind of way that kids interact with it. Some of that mm-hmm. technology is not super uh, easy for, for groupings. Like for ha- to have a group of kids submit mm-hmm. something on Seesaw is a little challenging. And I think that teachers are willing to, to troubleshoot just so far before they're just like, all right, we're going to do something else. And so Edulastic is just starting to be something that people are interested in because we really just kind of discovered it and, and have started mm-hmm. using it. Clickers has always been something that people have liked and gone back to as well as Kahoot because the kids mm-hmm. love Kahoot. It's, they love the challenge of trying to do something quickly and do something and beat people, basically. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you're looking forward to trying next year with your staff? I was actually just talking about this with the other ILSs and my principal. We're thinking about ordering supplies for next year and kind of how much paper are, are we going to need? How many notebooks are we going to need? And I'm kind of hoping that we're not going to need that many. We're going to be doing some more with OneNote, more with Microsoft, with 365 and the Microsoft tools, because our kids are going to be doing so much on the computer that we won't be needing that as much. So I'm really looking forward to trying to get third grade digitized and get them kind of going and working. I really like Edulastic as a tool. I think it's a really good um, formative assessment. And I also am kind of excited to spend the summer looking for more 
more technology because there's something mm-hmm. I know there's something new coming out all the time for, mm-hmm. for classrooms. And so now our final question, if you had the opportunity to stand in front of all the new hires in the district. So there is a new hire meeting at the very beginning of the year and then they do another series. I just did an inter- did a presentation with them a couple days ago. If you had the chance to stand in front of them and offer any advice, whether it be technology or not, what would you say to them? I think that if I had something to say, I would tell teachers to find a really positive person in their building, made them feel happy and well taken care of, and to stick with that person. Well, thank you again for your time. I know this is a busy Friday during the middle of MCAS month, and so thank you. You're very welcome. classroom when she's with students and the things that she's observing with other teachers in her building are amazing and we are so glad that we got to get a peek into life at Arena. With that, I just want to again remind you that if you know someone who should be interviewed for the podcast or you are doing something amazing, please let us know. We'd love to come out to you or you can come to us, especially during the summertime. It's much quieter around everywhere. Um, So we'd love to interview you then, so that in the first few weeks of school, we're not running around trying to find interviews of everybody to be a part of the podcast, and it allows you to get settled into your new classroom. With a lot of the changes that are coming up in the next couple of years, I really hope you tune in next week to our season finale of SPS Digital Learning Hour, as we interview Paul Foster, and we talk about some of the new tech software that is coming down the pipes this summer and beyond. So I'm your host, Mike Thomas, and I'll see you next week.